Hello and welcome to this edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. And this is definitely a special edition, as uh, I like to say. There's been a tremendous amount of major news that has transpired since the last edition of Novak Now. And of course, it's really all about the takedown of Qasem Soleimani, the man who was, his official title was the commander of the Quds Force, the real basically in, commander of basically all, uh, the, the, the essential leader of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, which is Iran's international terrorist army, its most active arm uh, of its government, the group that's responsible for not only the international mayhem and the many hundreds of thousands of lives that it has killed, over just really the last 10 years, let alone all the years beforehand. But we can really focus this just over the last 10 years and say there are hundreds of thousands of people dead because of the Quds Force and the IRGC. But it's also a group that, that's pretty active inside of Iran. And when things get hairy inside of Iran, like it has been if, during just this last couple of months with the massive protests inside the country, it's the IRGC and Soleimani they called on to put it down. And according to reports by Reuters and other organizations that are certainly not right-wing or certainly not tipped against Iran. That included the, the shooting and killing and, and torturing of, of the killing of 1,500 people, torturing and, and imprisoning of thousands more. So this is a guy who, let's just take a look at his resume. Again, just over the last 10 years, there's a lot more to talk about with him. But let's take a look at Qasem Soleimani just over the last 10 years and why people like me considered him to be the world's number one bad guy. And if bad guy is too infantile a term for you, and I was criticized for that in a headline to my editorial on CNBC on Friday morning, which used the headline, America just took out the world's number one bad guy, I was accused that that term was too infantile, too simple to say the term bad guy. Uh, Evildoer? Is that, I guess that's probably too black and white for a lot of people. Uh, terrorist killer? Uh, I don't really know what term you needed to use, but I pride myself on keeping things simple as far as clarity is concerned. You know, many of you know I'm the son of a, of a pretty accomplished academic and rabbi. And one of the things that's always bothered me about the dual life that my father's led over the years. And he hasn't been a, a pulpit rabbi. He hasn't been a, a rabbi on the Bema for 30 years now. But for 23 years, he was a pulpit rabbi and an academic. And for the last 30 years, he's been just a full-time academic, a little bit more than 30 years now. And one of the things that always bothered me about my dad's work was that when he would give a drusha on a Shabbat morning or when he would give a speech in front of a group of people, regular people, it would be engaging, it would be funny, it would be very interesting, it was scholarly, but it was never filled with a bunch of 50-cent words that people couldn't understand. It was never couched in terms that you didn't need a P, you know, you needed a PhD to really follow. And the academic work that my father did, on the other hand, the books that he has to write, because of the way the game is played in academia, because of the way that you have to write, talk, and do research in academia, it was the opposite. It was extremely inaccessible. Um, the books are hard to get through unless you're another academic. Um, what my dad does a very good job is when he is explaining his book to groups that are not academic groups or other PhDs, he's able to make that translation. But it always bothered me that that was necessary. And a lot of it has to do, and my father would be the first one to say so, is a lot of that has to do with just 
the certain airs and certain reputations that academia likes to hold of itself. And there's another reason for it. A lot of people who actually don't have anything new to say, a lot of people who actually aren't really that scholarly, like to use the most difficult terms as possible so they can hide that fact. If you use enough strange jargon, if you throw in enough footnotes in there, and for those of you who don't know where I'm going, just think about how you, when, think, flash yourself back to high school or maybe college when you were doing those essay tests and you kind of knew maybe half the answer. So what would you do? You'd start with the part of the answer that you knew in your essay test, and then you'd fill up three or four pages of the blue book or whatever color essay, you know, test essay book you had to have. In my day, it was always blue books. And you fill up three or four pages up with nonsense after that in the hopes that you get some partial credit over and above what you already knew the answer to be. And that is what a lot of academia does. And it's also what a lot of people in the news media do and a lot of people who are our so-called experts and pundits do. Uh, and one of the first things they do is they start off by saying, well, you couldn't possibly understand and be as smart as I am or have researched this as much as I am. Thus, I'm coming to this conclusion and, you're, and you don't deserve to even be on the stage with me or in a debate with me. So I got a lot of that by having this headline that said America just took down the world's number one bad guy. Of course, <laughs> that wasn't, if, that had, if that had been all I put in the column and I didn't explain why I thought he was the number one guy that really doing evil things in this world, doing them actively, then they would ha- maybe still have a point. But of course, I spent the entire column doing that. And you can find it on CNBC.com. If you just do Jake Novak CNBC, you'll get the link to my profile and under it all the columns I've ever written for them, which are in the many hundreds now. Um, and the latest column, of course, is on uh, this, is, 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 with that title. They changed the title. They changed it because they were getting so much criticism for it. I get it. I'm just glad they didn't change any of the content of the editorial. Um, but he was the number one bad guy in the world. And let me explain why in a shorter version here. You can always read the column. The, the, the short reason is that he, is ex- he was extremely active at the time that the U.S. took him out, at the time that President Trump ordered, ordered him to be taken down by a drone. Now, for those of us who have been following the news over the last 10 years or so ago, we know this sounds, sounded similar to the taking down of Osama bin Laden and the taking down, more recently, of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the founder of ISIS. And those were important operations, operations that I support fully. I support it fully. I get it, uh, that they were needed. But let's not forget that at the time they were taken out, and again, I think they needed to be taken out. I don't think they could have been brought to justice to a courtroom successfully. I don't think that that would have been worth risking so many lives of our soldiers and troops and special, you know, special ops guys to do because it, that would just be that would be too impossible. Plus, we know of course, there wasn't any doubt about their guilt, so it was a case where they really needed to be taken out. But let's not forget. At the time of their taking out, Osama bin Laden in 2011 and Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi last year in 2019 towards the end of the year, they were out of business at that time. I'm not saying they weren't maybe giving aid and comfort to terrorists. Maybe they were giving them some guidance. But they certainly weren't operating any major terrorist activities anymore because they were in hiding. They were in hiding. Soleimani wasn't in hiding. He was doing all of his work all over the Middle East. He was just in Iraq when, when the United States got him overseeing the, the storming of the embassy a week ago, less than a week ago. Talk about swift action. That happened on Tuesday. I'm recording this on Sunday night. So, I mean, that was really fast action. And he was taken down Friday morning, Thursday night, U.S. time, Friday morning, Iraq time. And he was involved in so many things really at the moment. He was still helping to direct the mass killing of people, of Syrian rebels in Syria for the Assad regime. regime. He was still involved in all the help 
and aid he was giving to the Houthi rebels in Yemen, where 100,000 people have died. And of course, in the Syrian civil war, which I just mentioned, we're talking about 600,000 people dead. He was still involved in giving guidance and help to Hezbollah in the north of Israel and all the things that they're doing there in the north of Israel and, and also to Hamas and Islamic Jihad in the south of Israel. I mean, all those rockets that fire from the south and the north, it's not all Soleimani's doing, but it was a lot of his doing. Uh, he's the main Iranian figure responsible for that pipeline and for that strategy. And, of course, we know that of the 608 American soldiers who died in the Iraq war from Iranian, Iranian proxy groups and from the IEDs, the improvised explosive devices, you know, obviously a lot more, sadly, than 608 American soldiers died in the Iraq war. But the State Department says that 608 of them died from Iran's, from Iran's doing, and that's Soleimani's doing as well. That's, that's, this is, the, this is the, what he was operating, and he was still operating. So in a lot of ways, it's actually much more important. I don't think it's as emotional a takedown as the Osama bin Laden takedown, and maybe not even as much as the Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi takedown. I get it. ISIS was something that really frightened so much of the world for such a long time, Osama bin Laden being the guy behind the 9-11 attacks. I, 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 clearly a more emotional, emotional value to that and importance to that. But as far as someone from – as far as the, on the saving lives scale, on the scale of saving lives right now – I think it's an easy argument that taking down Qasem Soleimani was more important than those guys because those guys, thankfully, had been out of business for a while. And in the case of Osama bin Laden, quite a, quite a while by the time that they were taken down. Again, no, no, no excuse. They should have absolutely been taken down when they were taken down, even though they weren't really operating that much anymore. That still, again, I still support very much their, their take, taking them out at that time. But Soleimani, it's not even a question. Soleimani, it's not even a question. He should absolutely have been taken down. For those who want to argue, and, this, and, I, and these, these are the arguments from people who I consider to be fair and, and, and just somewhat fair-minded. I'm not talking about some of the people who actually like Soleimani or are okay with Iranian terror. And there's plenty of those people who are decided to show themselves publicly in response to this action by the United States, which is proof of more of something that I say very often, which is that crazy can't hide the crazy. When people are that really mentally skewed or that evil, it's, they don't hide it very well. You know, I know when we watch the movies, it's always like the bad guy was the one at the last minute. We didn't expect him. That's not the way it goes in real life. When you're that evil and that mentally skewed, it, you, you just can't help but tell everybody. Social media is one of those things that puts a real microphone on these kinds of people or a real magnifying glass, whatever metaphor you want to use. But there are some fair-minded people who have said to me, well, don't you think Vladimir Putin is the world's number one bad guy? Or don't you think that President Xi Jinping of China is the world's number one bad guy? And I, I think that those arguments are strong arguments. The, the policies that they have enacted and the regimes that they lead, absolutely bad news. But they are CEO, chairman of the board types, not the COO, the chief operating officers, the people actually carrying out that stuff. I think that they set a policy and say, you guys go ahead and do it. I'm going to sit back here. And Soleimani was somebody who actually did both. He helped set a lot of these policies because of the way that Iran is structured. Yeah, they have a president, but he's a puppet of the supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, but he's also kind of hands-off. My point is Soleimani was the COO. In a lot of ways, he was also the CEO of the terrorist regime of Iran. And yet another reason why I believe he was the world's number one bad guy. And I'll stand behind that term. I think that it's just fine to use. If anybody wants to challenge me and my education and my long history of research and concern over this issue and the many things I've written about it, come at me. Come at me.
I don't think you're going to be happy with the results. You may not agree with me in the end, just like you don't agree with me now, maybe, but you're certainly not going to be able to come away saying, oh, well, that guy's an idiot. He doesn't know anything that, about what he's talking about. I mean, this has been an issue that I followed since 1979, since the, since the Iranian Revolution. I think there's a lot of people my age, especially in the Jewish community in the United States, who have been following very closely developments in Iran year after year after year for 40 years now, 40 plus years. You know, I'm 49 years old. This has been overwhelming majority of my life an issue for me. And I've written about Iran so many times. I have a lot of followers from Iran who send me videos of the protests. You've heard me here on Novak Now do a number of, of programs about Iran talking about the information I get out of Iran. And of course, that includes something that the continuing cause that I've been pushing for a long time, both here on Novak Now and in my other writings, and that is the cause of Bob Levinson, the longest serving American hostage in history, who is still a hostage in Iran, and we hope that he is still alive, and we've had opportunities to get him. But of course, that leads me to my second part of this discussion, which is we've also seen an incredible array and display of horrible, horrible behavior on behalf of former administration officials, people from the Obama administration and sometimes from former Congress people or people who are other parts of the government who are no longer in the government, thank God. And their behavior since the takedown of Soleimani, particularly on social media or on some of the interview shows, has been beyond appalling. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of a truthful moment about myself. I remember very well, and I'm sure a lot of you do as well, the moment that we learned in 2011 that Osama bin Laden had been found and killed by SEAL Team 6. I remember exactly where I was. I was standing on the platform of the Long Island Railroad at about 5 a.m. That was when I took the train back then. I take it much later now, but I still wake up around 5 a.m. because I'm writing and doing other things. But it was around 5 a.m., Looking on my phone, I had a BlackBerry back then, not, a, not an iPhone. I didn't get an iPhone until the next year. And I see that Osama bin Laden had been taken down. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm really glad we took him down. It's too bad that this is going to be a big shot in the arm for, for Barack Obama. But you know what? Who cares? We took down Osama bin Laden. I'm all for it. I'm not going to criticize. I'm not, I wouldn't, I'm not going to pretend that I'm against it because I'm not. I'm not going to come up with a bunch of lies just because I don't like Barack Obama as president and, I hope, and I'm hoping that he doesn't win re-election, which of course he did the following year anyway. I'm not going to do any of that because it's just so good that we got a bad guy like Osama bin Laden, even though, yes, he wasn't hiding and even though he wasn't really doing any terrorism anymore on, a, on, a, on the scale that he had before, that's for sure. But, you know, I, I admit openly that I did think for a second there, wow, this is going to help Obama and that's too bad because I didn't think he had such a great foreign policy. Uh, the fact that they decided to go in and, and give the authorization to SEAL Team 6 was a good thing, but I felt it was, unfortunately, an exception to the rule more than the rule in his administration. But I accepted all of that, and this is all quietly in my mind. I didn't write this publicly. I didn't call up a bunch of people and say, well, make sure you don't give Obama any credit for it. I just, I, I just thought about it. I was human, and I was thinking about it at that time, but it would never occur to me in a million years to go out there and say, well, I'm against Obama being taken, Osama bin Laden being taken out because I don't like Barack Obama. I wouldn't have been that stupid. But there have been so many people who with a lot more to, to lose reputation-wise, although I think they think otherwise, and I'll get to that in a minute. There's a lot of people, whether it's Ben Rhodes, who was a former advisor to Barack Obama, and one of the main 
point men in the Obama administration's push, hard push for the Iran nuclear deal and for some kind of engagement with Iran, which was a huge point of contention for people like me against the Obama administration throughout that administration, because that, that push started even before he was inaugurated. We, we know that, that, that there were members of the transition team at the, with, of the Obama administration who started, they started the, the, conne- the, the connections and started the, the, the dialogue with Iran, with the Iranian regime, even before he took the oath of office in 2009. So that was a huge point of contention for me. So, of course, Ben Rhodes is out there saying this is a terrible thing that we took out Soleimani. Not, not one time saying, hey, I have a conflict of interest here. Basically, my entire major professional life in government was spent trying to make friends with guys like this or make some kind of a deal with guys like this. Guys like this. So I admit that, but I'm against it. He should, he, of course, he doesn't have the decency to say that. Susan Rice, the former national security advisor who lied to the world about the Benghazi attack, saying it was in response to a YouTube video, an anti-Islamic YouTube video, which was a lie, and they knew it was a lie when they said so. And they, not only did they say it to the news media, but they said it to the, the families of the victims. She's also coming out and saying it's bad that we took out Soleimani. She's also lying that the Obama administration never had an opportunity or its, its allies never had an opportunity to take him out, which is a lie. Several reports, including a report from the very liberal, no friend of President Trump, Haaretz newspaper in Israel, saying that the Israelis had a good shot at Soleimani in 2015, but the Obama administration not only forbade it, but they tipped off the Iranians about it. So these folks have no shame. They're lying. They're taking their partisanship to a level that I would never in a million years have done if the shoe were on the other foot, and I can say that fairly, because the shoe was on the other foot in 2011. In 2011, I could have, if I had no decency, come out and said, oh, it's not good that we got Osama bin Laden. No, no, it's not good. It's going to cause a lot of terrorism. Because really what I was, what I was really angry about was, oh, this is going to help President Obama. I could have done that, but that would have been really, really unethical and horrible. But people in government, I'm sorry to say, already kind of start a little bit behind the curve when it comes to decency and morality and ethics. And I know that's a blanket statement, and if there's people listening who work in the government, I would ask you two things. One is make sure, realize that I'm not saying everybody. And the other thing, I would say, like, are you really sure that that isn't true about most of your colleagues? Are you sure? I'm not talking about your colleagues. I mean, like, the people in supervisory roles. I work in the news media, and I've been in the news media for 26 years, and I think that most of the people in my business either have an ethical or informational deficit. And I've been fighting against it from the beginning in this business. When I was working in local news in the hinterlands of this country, I was working more, granted, with the informational issue than the ethical issue, although there was ethical issues as well. Some of these local news stations across the country, I mean, some of the things that the news directors and the bosses do and the way they hire, especially the way they hire young women, you you can guess where I'm going here. Uh, There was an ethical problem with with that, too. And that's, not, and that's true in New York as well. It's not just a, a thing in the middle of the country where I was working as, you know, before that. But I was dealing more with an informational problem there. I was dealing with people who didn't know how to find the Middle East on a map or people who didn't understand the difference between, between percentages and percentage points, things like that, which are still, by the way, are, are an issue even at the fancy national news level as well. There's still a lot of people out there on television who don't know what they're talking about. And by that, I don't mean like they don't have a good opinion. I mean, they really don't know what they're talking about. They're reading what the teleprompter says. So there's still a problem. But I also deal more with the ethical issue. And I'm not afraid to say it. I'm not going to have a thin skin about my industry. It's, it's silly to do that. You want, it, you want your industry to be better, not to be defending it against decent criticisms and criticisms that are pretty much on the mark. 
people who are in, in any administration, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter, who have appointed positions and lead organizations and agencies, I'm sorry. I, you, you need to prove to me that you're an ethical and decent person. Before, it, 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 you need to prove that to me. Now, this isn't a court of law. I won't be able to ask you to be impeached or, or removed until you prove how innocent you are to me. But when you say something and do something, I, I need proof. Sorry. I don't trust you. I don't trust politicians and political people and political appointees. I just don't. When they do things that end up being true and good, I will absolutely say so. But Susan Rice, the Susan Rices and the Ben Rhodes of the world, those kinds of people, already they've got two strikes against them, if you ask me. And then, of course, their conduct struck them out many times. But one of the things that's really been interesting is that you can see that people like Ben Rhodes and Susan Rice and the way that they're talking, and there's many others. There's, there's, there's the, the usual suspects, a lot of the Obama administration people. And, and I haven't heard anything from John Kerry over this, but, he, of course, John Kerry was a major a conduit for this bad Iran deal and made a lot of friends in that horrific regime, including Soleimani, met with him. I don't know if he's friends with him, but we know that he met with him even though they tried to deny it, but then there were pictures supplied that proved otherwise. All these folks, though, when they start talking about how it was a bad idea to take out Soleimani and it's so terrible that President Trump did this, they do that in the comfort of knowing two things. In the comfort that they, with they, in, when they do news media interviews, they'll never be challenged on it in a serious way. So when they go on CNN and MSNBC and CBS and ABC and even NBC, they know they're never going to be challenged. There isn't going to be any reporter from those organizations that's going to say, wait a minute. First of all, don't you have a conflict of interest? Second of all, exactly how, tell me what you know specifically that tells me that this was a bad decision. They're not going to get that. And they're also not going to get the argument that I really want them to hear, which is to hear from the families of all of Soleimani's victims. There are 600,000 Syrians dead because of this guy. How about some of the families and the, and the survivors from Syria? How about they challenge the Ben Rhodes and the Susan Rices of the world? How about the folks in Yemen, the 100,000 dead people in Yemen and their families and their loved ones? How about they challenge Ben uh, Ben Rhodes and Susan Rice? How about all the Israelis in Sterot and in in, in the Golan and all those places that are threatened from the north and the south? You know, challenge Ben Rice and, uh, I'm going to call him Ben Rice, Ben Rhodes and Susan Rice. How about they challenge them? You know, and that's one of the great things about social media. I encourage, and I started a thread about this uh, on Sunday, I encourage every one of those people that I'm talking about that was either a victim or a survivor or somehow connected to the evil doings of, of Qasem Soleimani, and there's hundreds of thousands of them out there, probably millions, because we're talking about families here. I encourage them to tell their stories and to tag, if they, if they have Twitter, if they don't, you know, obviously I'm not expecting people in Yemen to have a bunch of smartphones, but if they have Twitter, if they have, an, if they have some kind of access to social media, I urge them to, to tell those stories and to tag Susan Rice and Ben Rhodes on Twitter and, and the others. Like, there's, there's, more, there's so many others. I don't want to just single those two out. I'm sorry to do that. It's, there, there are so many others, but we only have so much time here on Novak Now here on the Nuckham Siegel Network. But one of the things that's great about social media is that this, this comfort level that these people have when they just denounce the taking out of a mass, mass murderer who was still in full operational mode, and they can do that with impunity because they figure they'll never have to confront the victims, this man's victims. They'll never have to do that. That's not their problem. They're, in, they're, they're, they're protected, right? No, they shouldn't be protected. If, if Ben Rhodes and Susan Rice and the others are going to go on, on social media or on television and denounce this, 
and say that we shouldn't have done this, and they need to answer to the victims and the survivors. And if they don't, shame on us, because we have all the technology and we have all the opportunity right now. So I ask anyone listening here who might know a victim of, of Soleimani, and I think there might be a lot of people who know people in Sederot or in other parts of Israel who live in the fear of those rocket attacks, tell them to go on social media and write in English and to tag Susan Rice and Ben Rhodes' name to talk about how Soleimani hurt or maybe even destroyed their lives. I want to hear it because they're getting away with it and we can't allow that to happen. You know, Another thing that we're seeing very, very simply here is that so many folks don't understand the realities of what we've been dealing with with Iran really for 40 years. What's been the number one argument we've heard since the taking down of Soleimani? We've heard this argument that it's Armageddon, that now that we've taken out Soleimani, Iran's going to make war on us. Hello? Hello? Have any of you been paying attention for the last 40 years? Iran has been in all-out war with the United States and with Israel and others for 40 years straight. Have there been some years where it's been better than others? Yes. I'll give you that. But just this year alone, and by this year I don't mean 2020, we're only a few days into 2020, but just in the last 12 months alone, Iran has, has absolutely ratcheted up its war on Israel and the United States, culminating in that attack, that that attempted t- storming of the, of the U.S. embassy in Baghdad. What do you think was going to happen if those rioters and those militia members got into the embassy? They would have killed all the Americans there and certainly take some of them hostage. Speaking of hostages, 1979, the hostage crisis. For 444 days, 52 American hostages taken and, and, and abused and tortured. And, and uh, so many stories that we don't really know the full story because it's just so harrowing and really rough on a lot of the, the still-living hostages. Some of them are still alive, obviously, for them to tell. Iran's long-standing war and, and supplying of Hamas and Islamic Jihad and Hezbollah, the blowing up of the army barracks, the U.S. Marine barracks in, in Beirut in 1983. That's Iran. And it's not just in the Middle East. The blowing up of the Jewish community center and the, and the embassies in Buenos Aires and the Israeli embassies in Buenos Aires in 1993 and 94. That's Iran. The, the, the Iranians have been, and it's, again, and this is not a powerful enough country for people to say, well, they were holding back into it. Each one of these things I'm mentioning was, is a home run for them. Things that they've tried other, other th- they've tried many other things over the years. Qassam Soleimani got a Mexican agents and other people into this country to try to assassinate Saudi Arabia's foreign, foreign ambassador to the United States at the time. These are all documented facts. I'm not making any of this stuff up. Iran has been at war, for us for, at war with us for a long time, at war with Israel for a long time. Anything that happens over the next few days would, would have, could have and probably would have happened with or without the taking out of Soleimani, and no honest person could say otherwise. But we're dealing with a lot of dishonest people, as I said before, and a lot of unethical people. And so they are doing two things that the news media does and two things that that politicians do all the time, which is lie and create panic. We do that a lot in the news media, and politicians like to do it too. It's one of the reasons why politics and news media go, go together so well. 
I mean, we have heard people who have absolutely started to say the most frightening things to the American people to try to frighten us over this taking down of Soleimani. And I can ask you, I can tell you, there's nothing that Iran's going to be able to do to us that isn't already as bad as what Soleimani's been doing for the, for the length of his career. We're talking about a man with hundreds of thousands of lives on his hands. Folks, don't fall for the, don't fall for the hype. Don't fall for the lies. Taking out, of, taking out Qasem Soleimani was the right thing to do, and it should be a very simple and bipartisan thing to say. Sadly, it isn't. This is Jake Novak. This is Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.